Hello everyone, welcome back to Collaborative Edges, conversations to inspire initiatives across languages and cultures. I'm Rocio Quispeñoli, the host of Collaborative Edges. Today, we will have a conversation with Jose Adrián Badillo and Osvaldo Sandoval, doctoral students of Hispanic Cultural Studies, <coughs> who are featured in the short film, What Happens to a Dream Deferred, just released in the MSU Latinx Film Festival. We also have today Scott Beam, director of the film and professor of Spanish and Global Studies at Michigan State University, and Peter Johnston, cinematographer and film editor. Welcome, Peter, Scott, Jose Adrian, and Osvaldo. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Nice to be here. Thank you very much. Okay, let's start with a question for um, Scott and Peter um, and about the film and the making of the film. Could you tell us... Um, a little bit about the history of this short film. And uh, when did you start thinking about it? How long did it take to, to, to make it happen? And um, the inclusion of uh, Jose Adrián and Osvaldo's stories in it, Scott? Sure, well, the history is very short. Um, the inspiration happened in the fall, basically when Jeff Sessions announced that the DACA program would be rescinded. We were in the middle of organizing the film festival. And since part of the mission of the film festival is to provide a space to talk about issues of this sort, um, social and political issues that affect our communities through film, and we didn't have any film that touched on uh, this particular issue and dreamers in general or DACA, And because half of our organizing committee are actually DACA recipients, Osvaldo and Jose, it seemed like if we were going to be true to our mission as a festival, the best thing we could do is try to produce a film in a very short amount of time that could play at the festival that would highlight um, how this policy change affects us directly here at MSU and in the Lansing community. Okay, and Peter? Uh, Scott approached me in November with uh, two questions. One, did I know a student who would be good to sort of cover uh, the festival in a general way um, with some videotaping? And two, would I be interested in making this film? Um, knowing how tight of a timeline it was and how busy we both are and everybody is, of course. Um, so it didn't take me too long to deliberate before uh, I told him, yeah, um, we, we do need to make this film. And, um, you know, setting about trying to figure out, well, what will the film be? And Scott had a very clear vision from the start that it would be um, a day in the life, a sort of portrait of uh, these people mm -hmm. in limbo, um, what it's like to, to actually be, you know, a person living under this, uh, this cloud, this, this um, uncertainty of the future, um, and not, not a video, uh, not a news report, um, And, and not as numbers, not as political pawns, but as people. So, um, you know, throughout the construction of the film, we've tried to stay true to that vision, and I think, I think we pulled it off. Okay. Uh, Peter, could you tell us a little bit about your role in the making of the film? Sure. So um, uh, Scott had the, the vision, and I, and I did the cinematography and the editing. So mm -hmm. 
Um, we decided a few different kind of visual, uh, the aesthetic of the film, um, and you know what we would try to cover. So um, some of their teaching, some of their home life, uh, the campus. Um, they're, they're sort of being embedded in, in the culture of MSU, the campus here, and, um, and then try to sort of pull it off visually with a cohesive kind of look to the film. Um, and then it, and the editing was really a back and forth. The film is, is in Spanish. I don't speak Spanish. So mm-hmm. um, Scott really constructed the, the narrative um, through their interview. And then we work together to uh, to piece together the visuals. Yes, and Scott, how did you do to uh, build that narrative? Because you are the writer also of that. Well, of this y- sure, story, yeah. So. I think uh, f- first we had uh, I think Pete did a really good job laying out the vision for the film. And when we did the filming, which was just over a couple of days, we didn't have much time to work with. Um, we we shot a few things very consciously, knowing that we wanted them to be the bookends of the film, the beginning and the end. And they're very long shots that you'll see if you have a chance to see the film. And I knew that I wanted to slow down time in the film. Even though it's a short film, I, I really wanted to use the medium of film to take a pause. There's breaking news. There's updates on the DACA situation constantly. Everybody in this room has, has been following that for months. And I wanted to offer something that would be involved in that process, but a step back so that audiences would really have to experience what it's like to be in limbo. That's what we wanted to get mm-hmm. across. Mm-hmm. So there was a serendipitous thing that happened on Pete's end um, that I didn't know about until I started reviewing the footage, which really allowed us to make the final film that we did. And Pete started filming certain things in slow motion. And so when I, without talking about that, and so when I saw that, I knew that we had enough of that material to end up making the film that we made. Okay. Thank you. Now I would like to uh, turn to Jose Adrian and Osvaldo. Your uh, stories are told in this short film. So I would like uh, for you to tell us why uh, telling your story, sharing your story now and in this way. Jose Adrian? Well, we thought that presenting what a normal day in our lives is was going to be the best way to show people that we are just like everyone else here. You know, we both have jobs, we have families, we have work to do, and we don't want to be uh, portrayed as, you know, this uh, immigrants who are rapists, who are criminals, who are, you know, all this rhetoric that has been used uh, against immigrants. We wanted to show that we are part of this community, uh, not only the MSU community, but the Lansing community, and we're not numbers. So we wanted to be able to portray, just like you know, anyone else gets up in the morning, gets some breakfast, goes to work, comes home to their family, and we wanted to show that so that people don't see us as as numbers, as a political Statistics, exactly, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. and so. Th- we figured that was a good way to do it. And also, on a personal level, I felt like I had to be proactive about it because this you know, this whole issue with DACA is happening, and I couldn't just sit back and wait to see what would happen. I wanted to at least know that it, no matter what happens um, on March 5th, when they gave that initial deadline, Mm-hmm. that I know at least I tried to do yes. something. Yeah. So it's like a personal battle. Absolutely. Osvaldo. 
Uh, I agree with uh, Jose with everything uh, he just said. Um, and I also wanted to add that um, for some reason in the past, uh, when we were granted the opportunity to have a, a working permit, a social security number, uh, we were kind of um, mm, grateful in a way. So we didn't speak up at the moment mm -hmm. because we were like, uh, okay, this is enough. Uh, that's what we want to work. We want to have a uh, social security so we can uh, continue with our education, etc. So our voices were not um, as um, as loud as today because of what's been we we are being used as a political weapon for both sides uh, uh, of the politics right now. So uh, I think uh, uh, since. Since the last election, uh, November 2016, um, we said it's, it's enough. It's enough. We need to uh, we need to do something about it. We need to change it. It's not only like if we uh, uh, if they continue with DACA. I mean, it, something has to happen uh, for in, in a permanent uh, level. Uh, and that's why, I mean, we've been uh, doing uh, interviews with the state news uh, and, and the film, et cetera. But uh, I, just wanted, I just wanted to remark also that uh, I think the documentary does a great job uh, trying to portray that. We just, uh, as Jose said, like, uh, just like uh, normal, uh, normal people, we can say normal. Uh, mm -hmm. Like uh, we are not criminals or, mm -hmm. um, I mean, we're doing what every other person. Yes, it works against that narrative yes. that was uh, built or started to be reinforced yeah. about uh, Mexicans or Mexican-Americans or anyone coming from the South, yes. you know, uh, yes. or um, Latin America in general that, and I include myself there as yes. a Peruvian, that we are not uh, the average American decent uh, citizen so yes. it's it's and i understand that there is a moment you're negotiating because you are getting um basic um things to continue your life but there is a moment that it sucks exactly what you said osvaldo that uh, when your situation is used as a weapon mm -hmm. you know and then it's moment to uh stand up and speak i was up. i was yeah, a little i was i was a little scared uh at the beginning because uh I didn't want the, the documentary to be portrayed as a political weapon from our side, like to yeah. say we didn't want to use DACA as a political weapon. And uh, the, the short film actually, uh, it doesn't do that. Like uh, it's just yes. pretend like a daily life. Uh, we didn't, we don't want to be defined uh, by being DACA recipients. Uh, we want to be recognized by the work we do in school, out of school with our families. We don't want to say, oh, they're DACA, they, uh, they deserve a special treatment. Exactly, they're great people yes. just because they're DACA. That's, I mean, we don't, we don't want that. Yes. We don't need that. Yeah. <laughs> and a question for, for the two of you and also for Scott, would you um, uh, put this short film in the category of testimonial? Or not necessarily, or it's on the way of yeah, in it's that definitely a, a, a form of testimonial. I hadn't thought about it in those yes. terms. I don't know what you feel in terms of that. Um, 
I mean, I started thinking about Testimony when I watched it last night. Sure, uh, yeah. Although well, it's it's mm-hmm. very descriptive. I like what I, I like the approach. I like that it's not presented as a political weapon. I mm-hmm. I like that. And then, well, I I kept thinking about yeah. it. So right. I have no answer to that. Right. Well, <laughs> it's an interesting experience because we uh, Pete and I finished up in the in the in the editing lab uh, midnight, and then we debuted it uh, last last night. You know about. Uh, the, I don't know how many hours later. So we haven't had time to process it and really think about it. So in the Q&A afterwards, a few people had their own takes and what something meant and interpreting it. And everything makes sense. Even what you're saying now makes sense. We just haven't had time to process it yes. ourselves. So I think, yeah, that could very well be true. But just like any artistic endeavor, um, the interpretations sometimes come later. And so we had a clear vision. I think we carried it out really well. And people will have different readings. But what's what... Osvaldo and Jose are communicating here in terms of their experience of the film, which they also saw for the first time last night, mm-hmm. um, was really a goal that we had. We wanted to depict human dignity a day in the life, and that's enough, as Osvaldo is saying. You know. Mm-hmm. Another question for you, Scott, because this, this will help other people that would like to go Oh, you know, follow your example. This is your directorial debut. debut. And uh, uh, tell us about about it and how you and Peter got to work together uh, in such a short period of time and in spite of busy agendas and lives. Sure. Well, it is my directorial debut, but I have I have made a short film before. I, I did a lot of work around video and film um, with the Spanish Civil War Memory Project, which I did as a graduate student along with professor and several other graduate students at UC San Diego. Um, so for years, I was recording testimonies um, of survivors of Francoist repression, Spanish Civil War, and I helped produce and write and direct a short film to promote that. Um, but nothing on this level um, that, w- that was very project-specific. Um, and I also helped work on some, some British television and Spanish uh, news work as well. So I, had, I have some background that I bring to this. I also studied screenwriting for quite a while in Spain. Um, and worked on the cliff also uh, mm-hmm. at the level of the, the script. So this was the first opportunity I had um, to see a short film um, from beginning to end. And that in itself was great because I do have a few unfinished projects uh, that Pete's aware of. And mm-hmm. so I had met Pete through that and um, had wanted to do something together with him and complete something with him. And we were able to do that real quick. Um, thanks very much to his willingness to to set personal things aside and make a few sacrifices um, so that we could make this film on time. Good. Peter, anything to add to that? Just that, um, you know, I had sort of consulted with Scott on some of his other projects. So I was excited when he, when he presented the opportunity. And um, I think that we kept the scope within are, I mean, ambitious, but within our limits. And, uh, and that was the key, really, was just to sort of work closely together and uh, with Jose and Osvaldo. Uh, and, yeah, and we, and we did it. We, we completed it. <laughs> Good. Uh, congratulations for that. I know it's not a small feat. And um, our last question goes to Jose Adrián and Osvaldo. Uh, what advice would you give to other dreamers who are not sure of sharing their stories in a public forum of or speak up in this moment? Uh, this moment, Jose Adrian. Uh, well, I mean, I've been here for 18 years, and out of those 18 years, maybe 16 years, I was told to you know stay quiet, stay low, don't bring any attention to you because 
um, not having papers or having DACA might affect you or people might target you in one way or another. And to that extent, it is true. I mean, we, we live in, in, in fear of, you know, being target, targeted. And, but, I mean, I understand when other dreamers don't want that attention. And, but at the same time, I feel like if we don't do anything as, as dreamers together, if we don't unite and, and say, this is what's happening to us, we have to speak up about it, then I feel like Congress is not going to pay much attention to the types of things that we do, the types of careers that we have or uh, jobs you know, where we work. There are many, many people who are uh, DACA recipients who own their own businesses or who work for big companies like Google, um, Amazon. Uh, so they are important people in many different industries. And But those are people that are older and they're more mature about it. And we still have students in um, high schools that are afraid of this. And so, and I understand them not wanting to share their experiences, but at the same time, uh, I would like to, you know, invite them to at least, you know, come out and say, we are part of this community. And not only my family, but, you know, just in the town where they live, the schools where they go to, and sharing their experiences might, you know, might, they might, you know, they might tell a message that might be spread to other people. And together, I think we can, you know, we can do something about it. We can improve our situation or speak up. Okay, Osvaldo? Yes, um, we actually tried uh, to do these uh, series of workshops uh, when everything happened back in September 5th. Uh, we tried to uh, bring together the, the Lansing community uh, because we know that uh, there are more uh, DACA recipients uh, out there in Lansing. Um, we tried to work with the community. Uh, we went there like uh, for like three times uh, waiting for, for them to show up and um, uh, it was just like a space uh, for, um, like a safe place. Uh, for, it was a crystal ray. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, nobody showed up, uh, even though we knew there were more. Uh, and we respect that because they live in fear. Uh, as I said, uh, we live in fear. Um, and there is, uh, we cannot uh, make them do something they don't want to. But uh, on the other hand, uh, if, if they don't know, that we hear uh, there is not going to be a social movement, um, nothing's going to happen. Uh, uh, we're targets, yes, uh, but we've been targets like for years. Uh, it could be more uh, delicate uh, at this uh, uh, because of the recent uh, situation, the political situation, but uh, if we are um, being already threatened uh, the way we have, uh, I don't know, uh, in my opinion, uh, there's not much to lose. Yeah. I mean, they already have all of our information, yes, where exactly. we work, That's, where we live. Yeah. That's right. So. I mean, if they really want us, like, uh, uh, if they want to do something against us, they can e- easily do it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, um, I need to conclude this conversation now, uh, and I'd like to thank our guests today and invite you to the presentation of What Happens to a Dream Deferred on February 2nd, 3rd, and 4th before the feature films at the MSU Latinx Film Festival. For more information about this festival, visit 
msulatinxfilmfestival.com. Um, and finally, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors, or any official entities of Mission State University. I also want to thank technical producer Daniel Trego. Tune in for our next podcast on migration studies and the humanist perspective. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.